When I was growing up, one of my dad's favorite authors was Tom Clancy. I can still uh, remember seeing my dad work his way through Clancy's huge fiction books about politics, espionage, and the military, some of them more than a thousand pages long. When my dad first started reading these books, I was too young uh, to tackle them, but uh, after I cut my teeth on the Chronicles of Narnia and the Hardy Boys, (laughs) kind of dating myself there a little bit, as well as uh, Louis L'Amour, I gave Clancy a shot and uh, quickly became fascinated by the storylines and characters in his bestsellers. And it was one of these bestsellers that came to mind this week as I was preparing for the passage that we're going to study today, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. You can go ahead and get there um, if you're not there already. The book uh, that came to mind was called A Clear and Present Danger, in which the President of the United States perceives uh, that a Colombian drug cartel is a serious threat to the safety and security of the American people, and so he uh, sends Jack Ryan, the deputy director of the CIA, to Columbia to assess the threat. You may uh, not be familiar with the book, but rather the movie of of the same name, Uh, but as usual, the book is much, much better uh, than the movie. Um, In in the movie, Harrison Ford uh, plays um, Jack Ryan, and I think John Krasinski is playing Jack Ryan now. There's been all kinds of Jack Ryans, but anyway... Clear and present danger came to mind this week because it describes what Paul's addressing in Galatians. He's addressing what he believes is a clear and present danger to the churches in Galatia. It's a danger Paul sees uh, as so great that he disposes of the normal way that he opens uh, his letters. In in almost all of his letters, uh, Paul begins um, by praising and or thanking God and then by going on to pray or commend uh, the people that he's writing to. However, that's not the case whatsoever in Galatians. Paul just really completely dispenses with all of these kind of pleasantries, and instead he writes this in verses six through nine. He says to the Galatians, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. These verses we discover, A, the danger the churches of Galatia are facing, and B, how Paul wants the Galatian Christians to respond to it. The danger is that the Galatians are in the process of turning from the true gospel to a different or a false one. The word deserting in verse six was originally used in a military context to describe traitors and turncoats, and it means to change allegiance. However, note that deserting is in the present tense, which means the Galatians haven't deserted deserted yet. They're headed that way for sure, but there's still hope they won't abandon the true gospel, and that's why Paul writes with such emotion and urgency here. Now, let's review what the true gospel and the false gospel are that Paul is referring to here. As we talked about last week, the true gospel is, is grace. It's the good news that salvation comes through the undeserved kindness God shows us in Jesus Christ. Note that in verse six, Paul calls it the gospel of grace, or I'm sorry, the grace of Christ, and then in verse seven, he calls it the gospel of Christ. 
So the gospel is the good news of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say that again. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus. The false gospel then that Paul's referring to here is the gospel of grace plus works or Jesus plus works. It's the gospel taught by Jewish Christians called Judaizers who were telling the Galatians that in order for them to be saved, that, that yes, they, they had to place their faith in Jesus, but that they also, in effect, had to convert to Judaism. They had to follow the Old Testament law and the males had to be circumcised. However, note that after Paul says that he's astonished that the Galatians are so quickly deserting the gospel for another one, in verse seven, he immediately says that there really isn't Another one. Notice what he says. Not that there is another one. This is why we've called this series No Other Gospel. Paul's making it clear here that in adding works to faith in Jesus, the Judaizers have distorted. That word there in verse 7 means perverted. They have perverted the gospel into no gospel at all. In other words, when we add anything to the gospel, it's no longer grace. And when the gospel isn't grace, it doesn't save. We really need to get this because when anything is added to the gospel, it's no longer grace, and therefore it no longer saves. Now, to make sure that you um, understand the gravity of the situation here and and, um, what exactly is going on, let me reset things for you, all right? Paul and Barnabas had planted these churches in Galatia on their first missionary journey. They had gone into that region, which is modern-day Turkey, and they had preached the gospel in a number of different cities, And in each of those cities, many people had believed and a church had been founded. However, almost immediately after Paul and Barnabas had left that region to go other places and and, and preach the gospel and plant other churches, these Judaizers had come probably from Jerusalem and they had begun to teach the Galatians that, hey, Paul uh, was right, okay, that you have to place your faith in Jesus, but but he missed something. He, He left something out. And what he left out is that you not only have to place your faith in Jesus, you also have to do these certain things. You have to follow these certain rules. You have to do works in order to be saved. So salvation, the Judaizer said, came from faith plus works. Now, can you understand why Paul is so concerned about this? Can you, can you understand why he's saying, I'm so astonished? Why he is using such strong language? You see, he's just heard that these people who had just placed their faith in Jesus, who had just come to know him, had trusted in the gospel of faith in Jesus alone, were now veering away from that. And they were beginning to believe a false gospel, a gospel of Jesus plus works. Maybe an illustration will help us to get the gravity of this. Imagine that um, your child, a child who placed their faith in Jesus early on, maybe in our children's ministry here, or maybe uh, at home with you. And they follow Jesus in elementary and junior high and high school, not without issues, right? And not without struggles and not without questions and doubts here and there. But when they left for college, you were confident that they knew Jesus Christ as their savior, that they were trusting for their salvation in him alone. But when they got to college, all of a sudden, they were in classes with professors who questioned the reliability of the Bible, who questioned if Jesus was even a real person, who made the case that there were many ways uh, to salvation. And as your child said in these classes and was around people who believe the same thing day after day, 
you begin to, begin to become concerned that they were no longer maybe holding on to faith in Jesus alone, but were beginning to drift away into some other gospel, into some other belief. How concerned would you be? How concerned would you be? What would you do about it? What would you say about it? What would you feel in your heart about this issue? Would you feel concerned? Would you feel that you needed to address this issue strongly, urgently, and immediately? I believe that you would, and that's what's going on here. Now, with that in mind, how does Paul then want the Galatians to respond to this clear and present danger? Well, he wants them to unequivocally reject the Judaizers' false gospel. Paul couldn't be clear about this in verses 8 and 9, where he repeats himself almost word for word. Look at it again. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary, that word means opposed, a gospel opposed to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel opposed to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul repeats himself here in order to make sure that the Galatians know he's not simply speaking out of anger or frustration, but rather his position is firm. The gospel cannot, I repeat, cannot be altered in any way. So much so that if anyone, even himself or an angel from heaven preaches a different gospel than the gospel which the Galatians first received, they are to be considered accursed. What does it mean to be accursed? It means to be eternally condemned. Paul says that if anybody, even me, if I teach you or preach to you something other than what I originally preached to you and you originally received and you, by which you originally saved, then that person is accursed. Now, this is really strong language, right? It's some of the strongest language in the New Testament. And so we have to ask, why is Paul so vehement here? I want you to listen because this is really important. Paul's so vehement because he knows that in in distorting the gospel, the Judaizers are going to cause people to be accursed. You see, if someone trusts in a false gospel, whether that be of works or something else, it will lead to their eternal condemnation. Here's what Jesus says tells us, John chapter three and verse 18, he's speaking to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus. And he tells him this, he says, whoever believes in me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Because of sin, we all come into this world condemned or accursed. That's why Jesus says, that whoever does not believe in me is condemned already. We're already condemned. That is our status. That that is our state simply by birth. Like we talked about last week, we are under a curse. Sin makes us accursed. However, thankfully, as we also talked about last week, Jesus came into this world and he took that curse for us. He took the penalty for our sin. However, we only come out from underneath of that curse if we place our faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. If we trust in anything else, even in Jesus plus something else, we remain, as Jesus points out here, condemned. We remain a curse. Notice that Jesus actually says here, he says that whoever believes in me is not condemned. 
But he doesn't say whoever believes in me plus something else. He says whoever believes in me, simply in me. Here's the point. The only way that we come out from under the curse of sin is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why if anyone else teaches a false gospel, they are to be accursed because they are teaching something that is going to lead to everybody who listens to them to be accursed. So you see why Paul's so passionate here? Can you see why this is such a big deal? Can you see the danger that the Galatians are in in moving away from the true gospel? More significantly, though, can you see the danger that we today are in? You see, not only were false gospels a clear and present danger in the early church, they're also a danger in the church today. In fact, they are our greatest danger. As Phil Riken points out, the church's greatest danger is not the anti-gospel outside the church, it is the counterfeit gospel inside the church. I know we might think that our greatest danger today is disunity or the threat to religious liberty or the direction our culture is going on things like marriage and gender and sexuality. However, While these are certainly serious threats, they're not nearly as serious as the danger of false gospels. You gotta listen to me here, church. While all of these other things certainly could do damage to our church, there's only one thing that can destroy our church, and that is believing and proclaiming a false gospel. Are you with me here? I mean, we certainly have our challenges, we certainly have our issues, our struggles, lots of things out there uh, fighting against us. But ultimately, the only thing that can undo and lead to the destruction of the church is if we believe and proclaim a false gospel. And the reason for that is, is if we believe and proclaim a false gospel, then they're all, at, the, at the end of that, there won't be any church to speak of. Why? Because the only way that someone actually comes to be a part of the church is by believing in the one and only gospel. I can just tell you this, we, we could take a trip today if you could actually go to Europe right now. We could take a trip to Europe, especially Western Europe, and we could go and we could see all of these beautiful church buildings that look really great on the outside, but they're completely dead on the inside. And we don't even have to go to Europe to see that. We can see it here in the United States. We can even see it here in Southeast Iowa. And the reason that they're nice looking buildings perhaps, but they're dead inside is because at some point, the elders and the pastors of that church stopped teaching the true gospel and started teaching a false one. And the end of that is a dead church. And this is why we shouldn't recoil from Paul's strong language here, but instead should do what Paul wants the Galatians to do. We should reject the gospel of works and we should hold fast to the gospel of grace. I wanna say that again. What's Paul calling us to do in this passage today? He's calling us to reject the gospel of works 
and calling us to hold fast to the gospel of grace. So here's what I wanna do in the rest of this message. I want us to talk about how we hold fast to the gospel of grace. I just wanna point this out to you today. This is the most important thing for us to get and for us to do. There's lots of important things for us to do, lots of things that we could talk about, and we have talked about, and we will talk about, but the most important thing for us to do as a church is to hold fast to the one and only gospel of grace. And I wanna talk to you in the rest of this message about how we do so, all right? So I wanna give you four application points today, four ways that we hold fast to the gospel of grace. Number one, we hold fast to the gospel by resolving to be uncompromising about it. Friends, make no bones about it. When it comes to the gospel, we cannot... I wanna repeat, we cannot compromise in any way, shape, or form. We must always and forever hold to a gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. I'm gonna repeat, I'm gonna repeat myself a lot today because it's absolutely essential that we get this. We must always and forever hold to a salvation of by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. I realize that being uncompromising isn't something that's valued today. We live in a day of compromise, especially amongst professing Christians. However, when it comes to the gospel, we must refuse to budge, and we must refuse to budge because of what's at stake. And my friends, what is at stake? What's at stake is nothing less than eternal lives. Nothing less then the eternity of souls is at stake when it comes to the gospel. Now listen, um, when I made the decision uh, to come, felt the Lord was leading me uh, here to Harmony Bible Church, I made the decision in my heart that I was not gonna fight over things like music and dress, all right, and end times positions and um, alcohol, whether you drink alcohol or not, I just, I'm, not, I'm not gonna fight about them. I don't have the time, all right? The, the, those issues, are, are, I just don't. But I'm gonna tell you one thing I will fight for, and I will fight for the gospel. And that's the kind of church that we wanna be. Why? Because at the end of the day, okay, what we wear or don't wear, maybe don't wear is maybe not the right thing to have, but we want you to wear things, okay? I just say that, okay? Um, see, I get myself into trouble when I go home, I know. So, but, oh, at the end of the day, what really matters is, is whether or not we truly trust and truly know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him that is going to lead to eternity. And therefore, at the end of the day, the thing that really ultimately matters is the gospel. So if you want to talk, by the way, if you want to talk about those things, I have positions on all of those things. And I'll be happy to have a conversation with you sometime offline about those things. But it'll just be a conversation. I'm not gonna fight with you about them. I will not. But here's what I will fight about. I will fight about the gospel because when it comes to the gospel, your eternity is at stake. And what I'm most concerned about, and we should all be most concerned about, is the eternity, the eternal life of each and every soul that we come in contact with. So this isn't simple rhetoric. If we compromise the gospel, which lots and lots of churches are doing these days, we condemn people to hell. And I know that that's strong, but I'm not gonna apologize and I'm not gonna back down from it. And I know some might say, well, 
that doesn't sound loving. But let me tell you what isn't loving. What isn't loving is going along with a false gospel that damns people to hell forever. So we can't be squishy about the gospel. We, we can't fudge on the gospel. We have to draw a line in the sand and we have to say that there's only one way that people are saved. And the only way that people are saved is by God's grace alone, not by works, through faith alone, again, not by anything we do, and then in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus plus nothing. Grace plus nothing, faith plus nothing, Jesus plus nothing. Now let me say this, unless you you misunderstand me here, we should never, and I do mean never, proclaim the gospel in a prideful, ugly, condemning way. So so don't take by how fervent I am that that's what I'm pointing you to I'm speaking to believers right now about how we should hold fast to the gospel. I'm not intending to speak to unbelievers. I wouldn't speak to an unbeliever the way that I'm just speaking to you. Because it's almost worse to speak the gospel in a prideful, arrogant way than it is to not speak it at all. Instead, we should share the gospel in a humble, gentle, winsome way. So hopefully today you're you're getting at least a little bit fired up. But if so, don't direct your fire towards unbelievers. Direct your fire to getting motivated to uncompromisingly yet graciously sharing the one and only gospel. Number two, we hold fast to the gospel by recognizing the danger can be just as great inside the church as outside of the church. The danger can be just as great inside the church as outside of the church. Now, I've already kind of touched on this, but I'm gonna circle back to it because it's so important. Note that the false gospel leading the Galatians astray didn't come from the Roman Empire and it didn't come from the culture at large. Where did this false gospel come from? It came from professing Christians. It came from, in essence, inside the church. Now, there are lots and lots of examples of this today. I'm gonna give you a few here, right? One is the Mormon church, which calls itself what? What does the Mormon church call itself? the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, what do the Mormons teach? Well, they teach that the true gospel was lost from the earth and that Mormonism is its restoration. However, this restored gospel is a gospel of works. It consists of laws an individual has to follow in order to be saved. Most telling, how did the Mormons get this restored gospel? They received it from an angel, from an angel, something that Paul directly addresses here in Galatians chapter one. Another example is the Jehovah's Witnesses, who also claim to be Christians, but teach a false gospel that denies the deed of Jesus as well as his bodily resurrection, and that salvation is by faith plus what you do. So two issues uh, here, there are more than this, but, but two primary issues with the Jehovah's Witnesses, one, They deny the uh, person of Jesus, who he is, and two, they deny the work of Jesus. So one of the things I wanna help you to do here is to equip you a little bit to to spot false gospels. We'll talk more about this in just a moment. But one of the ways, probably the best way to spot a false gospel is to say, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about who Jesus is and and what he did? Do, Do they say, do they believe that he is the son of God come in human flesh, fully God and fully man? And do they say that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross in place, in our place, paying the penalty for our sins, and that he rose again? 
ascended back to heaven is coming one day, if they fudge on any of those parts that I just shared with you really quickly there, they're teaching a false gospel. Then there's Roman Catholicism, which of course claims to be Christian, but teaches that salvation comes through faith plus baptism and following the 10 commandments. And as I say this, I know that this is a sensitive one because many of us come from a Catholic background and or we have family members and friends who are still part of the Catholic church. So I wanna be a gentle here, as gentle as I can be, but I also wanna be straightforward. The Catholic church teaches a false gospel. It teaches a false gospel. Both the Council of Trent and the Second Vatican Council make it clear that for someone to be saved, they have to place their faith in Jesus, but they also have to be, like you, you absolutely have to be baptized and then follow the Ten Commandments. In other words, official Catholic doctrine teaches that salvation is not of grace alone, but rather of grace plus works, and that means that the gospel of the Catholic Church is a false one, a false one that if believed, believed leads to eternal condemnation. Now let me add this here, all right, and I wanna be really clear about this too. I am not saying that if someone is a part of the Catholic Church or calls themselves Catholic, that that means that they are not a Christian. What makes someone a Christian is not where you go to church or what you call yourself, it's what you believe. And, and so, did, did you catch that? What makes someone a Christian is not where they go to church or what they call themselves, it's what they believe. And so if someone believes, truly believes that salvation comes by God's grace alone, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, then that person is a true believer. They are a Christian, regardless of where they go to church and what they call themselves. Now, um, I would, if I had the opportunity, okay, speak to someone and, and warn them if they go to a church that is not teaching the true gospel, but it is very possible that someone could be a Christian and be going to a church that doesn't teach the true gospel. In fact, I absolutely know that that is the case. I know people whom that, for whom that is uh, the case. With all that said, um, since I'm trying to offend everybody here today, I can't leave out that many Protestant, and to be more specific, supposed evangelical churches teach false gospels. Now, the reason I say supposed is because the word evangelical means preaching the good news, <laughs> means preaching the gospel. And yet there are many evangelical churches that actually teach false gospels. This would include churches that teach the prosperity gospel, the social gospel, the self-help gospel, the word of faith gospel, and or the gospel of baptismal regeneration that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. There are a lot of evangelical churches that just like the Catholic church teach that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. So we have baptisms here, here at the Anvil campus today. And I just wanna make it really clear, none of those people were saved by that water. They were saved before they got in the water. That's why we put them in the water. <laughs> All right? The, the baptism simply illustrates on the outside what has happened on the, the inside. And it's not something that we do to be saved. We do because we want to follow Jesus and he told us to be baptized. And so out of love for him and him giving his life for us, we say, we're going to follow him and we're going to show and we're going to demonstrate to the world. Now, I also need to mention though, just like I did last week, that there are many churches that while they don't explicitly teach a gospel of works, they do so implicitly by how much they stress following extra biblical rules. 
The sad truth is that many churches that consider themselves evangelical implicitly teach a false gospel of works. And again, I I know I'm not winning any friends here, but but this matter is too serious to worry about that. Here's here's one of the real blessings, but also challenges for us here at Harmony Bible Church. We have a lot of people that are a part of our body that come from all kinds of, we're like a big melting pot here, okay? Which is really great and really, really wonderful. And we also have a lot of people who, who watch online or kind of affiliated, watch the sermons and all that kind of stuff. And so I know every week I am talking to people who have been taught false gospels, many of them for, for the entirety of their lives. And so it doesn't really give me any delight to do what, I'm actually somewhat makes me nervous about this, but I have to do it because it's my responsibility to make sure that if you are being led astray by a false gospel, I'm really, really clear so that you know that you are making that choice rather than being deceived into it. See, when it comes to the gospel and therefore how someone is saved, we have to be clear about the dangers of false gospels. And also, I'll say it again, the true gospel, the one and only one, is that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Any gospel that adds or subtracts to that gospel is no gospel at all, and therefore cannot save. And that leads to this. Number three, we hold fast to the gospel by learning to spot false gospels. By learning to spot false gospels. Now, I've already talked about this a couple of times, so um, for now, let me just emphasize that the best way to learn how to spot false gospels is by developing a deep and thorough knowledge of what the true gospel is. Let me give an illustration here. Do you know what's uh, used to train federal agents how to spot counterfeit money? Do you know what they use? It's not actually counterfeit money. The way that these agents are trained is by making sure that they become intimately familiar with what real money looks and feels like so whenever they come into contact with counterfeit money, it's really easy for them to spot it. And the same thing is true when it comes to spotting false gospels. Listen, there are way too many gospels out there for even your pastors to keep up with, all right? I've mentioned six or seven of them, but there there are a lot, lot more, and they keep proliferating, like day after day after day. And so I can't, like, every Sunday, like, say, hey, this is the false gospel of the week, okay? And so let's talk about that. But what I can do is I can just hammer home to you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Hopefully you picked up on this, okay, that we're already doing this. What the true gospel is so that you become so familiar with the gospel message that whenever, whenever you come into contact, whether it's through um, something you're listening to on the radio or some book that you're reading, or some other pastor that you hear, or lo and behold, even here at Harmony, you hear a false gospel, you're gonna be able to spot it. Let me add this here on this last point there. One of the things that Paul teaches us here in this message is that um, the message is what validates the messenger, not the messenger, the message. You following with me here, all right? What we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to say, hey, that guy or that lady is speaking, that means that what that person is saying, this this message over here must be true. What Paul is saying is what we ought to do is we ought to take God's word, the true gospel, and we ought to validate the messenger by 
the original message. Is that making sense? Don't, don't, don't say, Pastor Chris says it, so it must be true. That'll get you into trouble. Hopefully, hopefully it won't, but it could, okay? It could. Don't, don't say, Pastor Chris says it, so it must be true. Say, the Bible says it, so what Pastor Chris is saying must be true. That's what Paul is telling us to do. And let, let me tell you, if Paul said, do it with what I say, you better do it with what I say. You with me? Are you with me? Yes. Yeah. Or are you with the Bible? It's really what you ought to be with, all right? And that's tied directly to number four, which is this. We hold fast to the gospel by joining a church that proclaims the true one. So how do you learn to spot a false gospel? You learn to spot a false gospel by being part of a church that proclaims one. Now, don't check out on me here if you're a member, uh, because this one applies to you too. And it applies to you too because by join, I don't mean to simply become a member, I mean to commit. I mean to get engaged. I mean to give yourself to growing in the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. So let me, let me just throw this out to you here. We're almost done. Let me just throw this out to you here. You are all in danger. You're all in grave danger. And the grave danger that you're in is that there are a lot of false gospels in our world. Our world, our culture speaks it. The church often, or the so-called church speaks it. The devil is speaking it to us. There are a lot of temptations. And if you do not be, if you are not proactive and you do not intentionally give yourself to growing in the gospel and proclaiming the gospel, you will desert the true gospel for a false one. That will happen. It happens all the time. And so my charge to you today is the way that you, you hold fast to the gospel is making sure that you are engaging and getting involved in a gospel-proclaiming church here at Harmony or another one where you are growing in your understanding of the gospel and you are growing in your ability to be able to proclaim it and to speak it to others. Let me tell you why this is so important. Here's what the author of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Just like the Galatians, each and every one of us is prone to wonder. Did you know that? Just like the song says, we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God we love. Even though we are new creatures in Christ, we still have our old creature, our old nature in us, and our old nature is completely and totally prone to wander away from the Lord. That includes me. And so the quickest way to follow that heart, the quickest way to find ourselves falling away from the living God, to find ourselves deserting the true gospel, is to fail to be engaged with others who are proclaiming that gospel. I really can't tell you how critical this is. If you want to hold fast to the gospel, and I believe that you do, you have to be engaged in a gospel-proclaiming church. If you want your children to hold fast to the gospel, they must be engaged in a gospel-proclaiming church. And Harmony Bible Church, if we want to be that kind of church, do you know what we need? Each and every single one of us needs to be someone who is proclaiming the gospel. Listen, I'm not just talking about me here today. I'm talking about each and every single one of you because proclaiming the gospel and holding on to the gospel is a community project. 
Now, I'm not, by the way, when I say proclaiming, I'm talking about getting up and yelling at people for 40 minutes, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about simply being a believer who on the one hand is personally growing in their understanding of the gospel, but then is speaking that gospel to others. And notice the writer of Hebrews says, it's not just once a week, but it's every day so that as we speak the gospel to ourselves, we won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and we won't fall away from the living God. Because the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A dreadful thing. How do you keep that from happening? You keep that from happening by being engaged in a gospel proclaiming church. So I'm speaking to every one of you, all of you up there in the balcony, all of you watching online, Fort Madison, Burlington, everybody here down on the main floor. We need, if we're gonna be a gospel proclaiming church, every single one of you to be a gospel believing and a gospel proclaiming person. Let me close with this. This is gonna be, seem like it's making a turn, but it, but it won't, all right? This week, I had the privilege of being at a large church conference with a number of other people here uh, from our church, uh, and it was really great. There were several thousand people there, and it was great to be in a really, really big gathering. Uh, again, it was great teaching, great worship, great breakout sessions. It was a really, really great time. However, I'm just gonna be transparent and honest with you here. As I sat there um, and listening, here's a thought that went into my mind. All that went in my mind was, man, wouldn't it be great to speak at a conference like this? Wouldn't it be great to be up there on the stage, everybody watching you, thousands of people watching online, have your name all over the marquee. Here's Pastor Chris Carr from Harmony Bible Church. To have a household name and to be part of a church that was a household name. Now, I'm just being honest with you, okay? Um, that, that was one of the thoughts that, that went through uh, my mind. And then to make it worse... After one of the sessions, <laughs> to make it worse, there's a point in this. I'm, I'll get to it in a minute, all right? <laughs> to make it worse, after one of the sessions, I was walking out of one of the sessions, and I found one of the people who was with us uh, basically stalking the guy who had just spoken, uh, a name that you would all know, standing outside of the bathroom waiting for him to come out of the bathroom. <laughs> really nervous and excited about going up to possibly meet him, then went up to meet him um, and asked to take a picture with him. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, I've been that person's pastor for like a decade. They've never asked for for me to take a picture with them. (laughs) Uh, And that person wasn't Eva, by the way. Uh, It was was somebody else, somebody else. Um, I actually wanted to go up and talk to him, but my pride wouldn't uh, let me uh, do that. Uh, But here's what the Lord, why I'm telling you that is because I I wanna tell you what the Lord did uh, in me and how the Holy Spirit kind of convicted me and then really encouraged me uh, when I came home. So I came home on Wednesday and uh, coming home on Wednesday, uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit, I began to work on this message. The Holy Spirit convicted me and he said this. He said, "Uh, Chris, Uh, All that glitters isn't gold. All that glitters is the gold. What's gold is being a pastor in a church that believes the gospel and proclaims the gospel. That's where the gold is. Then second, he gave me lots and lots of reminders about what God is doing here at Harmony Bible Church. Three people who've come to know the Lord in the last two weeks. 
one of them a man at our Fort Madison campus. Then I was reminded that we have 20 baptisms over a period of three weeks at our campuses. 20. We saw some great stories here at Danville this morning, did we not? Then I was reminded of the fact that I had got an email uh, with 20 people who are in the process of joining our church or in the membership process. I was just reminded of all the great things that God is doing. There's one more thing that happened. When I got home on Wednesday in the mail was a handwritten letter from a lady um, that I led to the Lord almost 20 years ago. I was teaching a Sunday school class. I was new in the ministry. I really didn't know what I was doing. I'm not sure I do even to this day. But uh, just teaching the class and I could tell that she had some real questions and that she really didn't understand the gospel. So after the class, I just went to her and I said, hey, would you like to stay and let's, let's try to answer some of these questions. We stood and we, we talked and it was in that day that she professed her faith in Jesus Christ. Just a simple declaration of what I've been talking to you about uh, here today. And she was just writing this letter for some reason. The Lord knew I would need this encouragement after this conference that the way that God works is not from the big stage. It's not even necessarily from here. The way that God works is through the very simple belief and the proclamation of his gospel. So my encouragement for you today, friends, is that God is doing great things in his church here at Harmony. And he's gonna continue to do great things if we will just give ourselves the one thing. The one thing that we absolutely must give ourselves to is individually believing in Jesus and Jesus alone. Not in what we can do, not our good efforts, not anything else, but simply in what he did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And then proclaiming and speaking that to as many people as we possibly can. The simple gospel message, the gospel that saves, the gospel that gives eternal life. And so let's give ourselves continually and maybe even increasingly in the days ahead. And as we do, we will continue to see God do great things. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.